a Radio 191 FM podcast. Kia ora, this is the Wednesday Starters Nuna from Thursdays in Black Otago. We're joined today by Michaela Waite Harvey, OUSA Welfare and Equity Representative and General Exec Member of Thursdays in Black Otago. The following interview will discuss sexual violence and colonisation. This is a content warning for that. So thanks for joining us, Michaela. Um, your article, and in the article, you've linked sexual violence to colonisation. Pre-colonisation, sexual violence was rare and considered one of the most extreme violations of tapu. So what changed? Uh, kia ora. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, so I mentioned briefly in the show sort of a history of pre- and post-colonial understandings of um, sexual violence. And it really is well documented in that instances of sexual violence, you know, incest, are not accepted and were not tolerated. They were accounted for in the community really well in uh, a sense of like a coming together, an understanding of the situation, um, sort of what we would understand as like um, restitutional justice as we understand it now where it's, you know, they're sort of establishing it on marae where you come, you talk to the elders in the community, you talk it through, perhaps the victim is involved and it's, it's discussed and it's thought through and it's not as punitive as Western styles of understanding, you know, violations, crimes are. Mm-hmm. So, you know, key to understanding this is really how Māori changed, were forced to change and were forced into Western ideals of living and existing. You know, this is seen through disestablishing Māori communities, which impacted that accountability, it impacted that connectivity among Māori. And the strength of those pre-colonial communities can be seen through resurgences, you know. When those were taken away, it was pretty hard felt. And it got to the point where Māori sought to reinstate their identity, community, connectivity. So in like the 1900s, we had communities like um, the settlement under Maungapohatu by Ruakenana and settlements like Parihaka which tried to try and reinstate this connectivity because they saw how Western ideals were really breaking down, tekanga breaking down how they, you know, dealt with things as a community. So they tried to go back to that. That, of course, resulted in aggression, action, you know, police brutality from the state to try and really disconnect, diversify those Māori populations because key to colonial, you know, um, dominance was diversifying the Māori population. It was, you know, government policy in the 1900s that when Māori were urbanised, they'd be placed in Pākehā communities. They wouldn't be put in neighbourhoods that were Māori um, mainly populated because they wanted to ensure that they felt isolated, that they began to feel westernised so that they couldn't connect, be accountable, be a community. That was really key to the power balance of things. And it was, you know, it was a government policy. It was really well implemented and it, it had a big effect. And um, so, you know, colonization not only just did that, but it pushed westernized ideals of gender. Before colonization, there was a really complex understanding of gender identities in the Māori community. There was a really complex understanding of, of gender roles. There wasn't really gender roles. There was an understanding of, you know, a mother and a father, but there weren't strict ideals of patriarchy, matriarchy, and the toxicity that comes with that from westernized ideals. So that really pushed, you know, uh, this community in deeper where it became sort of a westernised nuclear family where things would be dealt with in-house. And that's where issues, you know, arise. They would be kept within the family. They'd be kept within the home. They wouldn't be discussed or viewed within the community. 
you know, previously you'd live on the par, you would, you would live amongst many, many people. It wasn't just a home on a street. You would occasionally see a neighbor every two weeks, never chat. It was every day you were interacting with the community. So the community understood what was happening and could respond to situations that didn't happen after colonization because of the entrenchment of this nuclear family in the home, diversifying communities, splitting them up, making sure they couldn't talk, couldn't account, couldn't collectively um, deal with things. And so that kind of builds into something I I touched on and that was um, this idea of that Māori view our history as something that was really um, understanding and collective and beautiful and we dealt with things together. Um, there's a very different view that Pākehā take on Māori history, you know, you can see it through the stereotype of the warrior gene. There's this understanding in Pākehā that Māori are violent because they've always been violent, because they're a warrior, they're a savage, you know, they're subhuman, that's that thought from pre-colonialism, that that's how they always were. And that's very, you can see it in ideas of like Pākehā media through film, through through reporting, that like pre-colonization was violent, colonization happened, Māori was still violent. So the fact that violence is redolent today is just a thing of the past. It's inbuilt in our blood. It's who we are. It's not because of colonization. It's just because Māori are violent warrior type communities. So there's this, you know, the violence is the fault of the Māori, that violence is a part of Māori culture, always has been that there's this code of silence among Māori about the issue and that by implication, Māori condone violence and always have. And it harkens back to like labelling Indigenous people as savages and that sort of thing. Um, But this Pākehā view is often presented somewhat simplistically and contributes to stereotypical notions that um, about patriarchal Māori societies that patriarchy existed in Māori society like it does today and it's you know really unhelpful towards addressing sexual violence it's trying to make it seem like this is something that's always happened when it's really not so that's why it makes it hard to deal with because there's this idea of status quo that just it was like that forever it's like it now there's no difference when there really is but it's not presented that way because it is really a Pākehā viewpoint on it whereas if you look at Māori scholarship on it Māori views on it Māori historical scholarship on it um they have those examples of connectivity collectivity accountability that shows that there was a strong values strong tikanga approach to things and that's really not the way that we think it was um and yeah that there's plenty of evidence of well integrated community with a with a depth of understanding of of how to deal with things versus yeah so there's really those two viewpoints and i think it's key to push Māori voices on it rather than this antiquated continuous narrative that it's Māori's fault that it's always been um, a problem the Māori community always has been and it wasn't a fault of colonisation it's just who they were and who they are Right, you've been listening to the uh, Starters Wednesday Nuna with Thursdays in Black on Radio 1 we're here talking to the OUSA Welfare and Equity representative uh, Michaela Wade Harvey on her recent article in the Thursdays in Black blog, 
about uh, linking colonization and sexual violence. We are going to be talking with her a little bit more. Um, coming up next, though, we've got some more music, and we'll be back with Michaela Short. Kia ora, this is the Wednesday Starters Nona from Thursdays in Black Otago. We've just been chatting to Michaela White Harvey, and we're back again with more thoughts on Maori experiences of sexual violence and the link between that and colonization. Michaela, your article um, discussed sexual violence in relation to dynamics of power. Could you elaborate on that for us? Yeah, so I, that was kind of the part where I was talking about how I discovered, you know, I went through a bit of a transitional phase in my teens trying to discover my own experience, others' experience, and then linking it to my understanding of sexual violence, not as something that's about sex, but something that's about power. And then there was the further link where I understood sexual violence in Indigenous communities, where it's not just power, but it's colonial oppression. It's a key tool as a part of inserting a nation's sovereignty over another is not just assertion of sovereignty over the land, but it's assertion of sovereignty over the people. And um, as I understood, I, you know, it's pretty well known that sexual violence isn't just, you know, it's not just physical domination. It's not just physical abuse. It's, it's a large part of it is mental abuse and mental domination and control. And so the understanding of power in, in an indigenous sense is as a nation is being dominated in terms of the way that Aotearoa was with land confiscations, with land domination, it's pretty well mirrored with um, history of sexual violence and how that was used as a tool to control women, control communities and control um, their stories. And really it is something that had a big impact on um, how Māori women were seen in the community and how they were heard in the community because a big reactivity to sexual violence is to hold it inside protect yourself not tell anyone not expose yourself that's even more felt when as i discussed before that communities are broken up and broken down and so that these can't be these community accountability so when it's just you on your own or you with your family or perhaps you with your abuser you can't talk about it with other people so it really created this this um, deep generational idea that Maori women should be silent and resilient and stoic about their situations, which just perpetuates it further, obviously, because it's not being discussed, so it's not being dealt with, so it's not being fixed. Um, so yeah, that, that dynamic of power is really key to colonization. And I think it links into land a lot, which is why I kind of linked land, um, confiscations in with how it deals with sexual violence a lot. And, um, yeah. Okay, Michaela, like you've, you've mentioned just then, um, and you mentioned this in the article as well, about how Māori women are being made to be resilient and quiet about their issues. Do you think that is changing at the moment, and how so? Yeah, I mean, I, I quote, not really quote, I discuss a few instances that I've heard of in previous years where, you know, women have been speaking up at... Um, you know, big events at Marae when they know that an abuser is in a position of honour or a position of power really demanded that they be held accountable, that they be brought down from those positions of honour because what is known that they've been doing or what they've done or perhaps what they've been convicted of doing. Um, so that's something that's been happening very recently. That's also a part of how um, dynamics within hapu, within um, the marae have been changing over the past decade, which is... It's an interesting subtopic that um, there is this uh, loss of 
knowledge of te reo Māori amongst Māori men. Um, her Māori elders, typically women live longer. So at the moment, we're having a lot of our elders are women rather than men. So we're seeing this sort of surge in um, wahine being the lead in the iwi, being their elders. So they're taking more of a position of speaking, of being at the front of um, a lot of pōwhiri and stuff like that. And so we're seeing it's sort of offset of just another thing that men are not taking up today Māori as much as women are and things like that. So there is a bit of a resurgence, which I think just comes out of the urgency, the fact that it's something that's just, um, yeah, it's an offset of that, but women are seeing more power in the marae and through that, I think we're seeing a lot more, you know, um, support and a lot more power and a safer space for women to be able to talk about their issues, especially as abusers are being held accountable in those areas that should be safe and should be used for accountability. Listening to the Starters Wednesday Nuna with Thursdays Black, we're talking to Michaela White Harvey, who is the OUSA Welfare and Equity Officer, as well as the General Executive for Thursdays and Black. Um, we're going to play some more music now, but we will be back again speaking to Michaela shortly. Uh, keep it locked to Radio 1. You're listening to Starters Wednesday Nuna on Radio 1 with Thursdays and Black. We're here speaking to Michaela White Harvey, who is the OUSA Welfare and Equities Representative, as well as the General Executive for Thursdays and Black. We're having a chat to, uh, to her about her article on the Thursdays in Black blog, which you can go and read now if you'd like. Um, check out our Facebook page, you can find the link there. Um, we just wanted to ask, uh, we've been talking about, um, especially within Maridim, but you know, we can look a bit further elsewhere, you know, uh, especially as a lot of these abusers are men, um, they often get venerated after their deaths and we're, not, we're told not to speak ill of the dead. In your opinion, Michaela, how can we honour our whakapapa while still holding these people to account for their behaviours? Yeah, I, it is a really deep and interesting topic, especially in Māori, because we do have a deep sense of honouring our whakapapa and honouring um, you know, the ancestors who came before us and a deep spiritual connection to that. You know, it's you know, a very deep thing, you know, you walk into a marae, the back hall has images of all of your whakapapa, they're really front and centre in your lives, even if they've died hundreds and hundreds of years ago, it's important to respect and, and understand their experiences, especially as these were people who went through colonisation, so they looked at images of resilience and survival and and protection of our Māoridom, because it was because of them that we can uphold our customs and our tikanga at the moment because they were the ones that fought for it then. So there's that aspect of honouring them for protecting our culture, protecting our reo, protecting who we are. But then how do you justify that with perhaps the behaviour of them and, you know, understandings of perhaps them being abusers, them being violent individuals? How do you weigh that up with the good that they did? And I think, that's a broader understanding of practically anyone. It's how do you, how do you uphold someone? You know, you weigh up the good, you weigh up the bad. How do you hold them accountable? I think it's having a discussion of what they did and understanding it. It's, you know, it's history lessons. It's not hiding it under the rug, which is a lot of what happened. You don't discuss that. I think it's okay to discuss those things and still respect that they were important figures in our lives, in our history. Mm. I mean, uh, we've recently had Anzac Day, um, and of course, a lot of people 
posting photos on social media of, you know, those in their whānau who went away to war. And I noticed within my own whānau, there was a lot of posting of my grandfather's, of, uh, my grandfather's uh, picture from the Māori Battalion. And it was a bit weird because he was someone who was an abuser in my whānau. Um, and these pictures were being posted by people he abused. And there was this real, for me anyway, a real disconnect. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is, that touches on an important part, that point that most abusers are, you know, family members, you know, their friends, they're close to the fact they are close to you. It's very rare that they're a complete stranger. It's more likely to be someone you know or who your family knows, even more so if you're a Maori person. And so, you know, that deep connection and the the fam the familial connection is something that makes it really difficult how do you cut off someone that's been so close to you in your life and that had an impact in your family and that was really a key figure in your family to lead you on and help you and but how can we hold them accountable how can we you know not perhaps not hide it as much as what i think it's really, you know, for me, there are abusers in my family and how do, you know, my parents, how do they accept what their parents did and how do they still carry on? I think a lot of it is part of that Māori idea of resilience and silence, that you don't talk about it, that it's just something that you hold to yourself and you it's not shared. I think that's a big part of it is that it really is just a, a, a secrecy thing. We don't want to talk about it because then it exposes us and it exposes what happened to us and perhaps we don't want to talk about the things that happened to us. Um, and I think that's just people making sure that we have an open dialogue and know that there's safe spaces for it to happen is really key. So you're listening to the Starters Wednesday Nuna with Thursdays in Black on Radio 1. With uh, We've been joined by Michaela Wade Harvey, who is the AUSA Welfare and Equities representative um, and a general exec member of Thursdays in Black as well. We are going to be back talking with Michaela very shortly, uh, but for the meantime, here's some more music on Radio 1. Kia ora, you're listening to the Starters Wednesday Nuna with Thursdays in Black on Radio 1. We are here, Kaylee and myself, talking to Michaela Wade Harvey, who is the OUSA Welfare and Equities representative and a general executive member of Thursdays in Black as well. We've been talking about her article on the Thursdays in Black blog, which talks about sexual violence and its links to colonisation. And, of course, one of the, uh, Michaela, one of the, the strongest forces of colonisation was Christianity and the way it affected the, how gender expression and gender identity were viewed within Māoridom. I mean, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, Christianity has always been a strong tool of colonization, not just in Aotearoa. You know, you can see it in America, how they tried to justify slavery to African-Americans about why the situation was okay. It was really used as a force to entrench their situation, to instill an idea that there's a meaning to what's happening to them and that it's not just human on human, but it's perhaps divinely inspired and therefore not in their control and shouldn't be in their control. So there's, that's how it was. It can be used, seen globally. In Aotearoa, it was really used as a key point for missionaries to be sort of this point person where they would infiltrate hapu, they would infiltrate um, communities, and they would then build trust. They would 
they would give them lots of things. They would give them tools like reading and writing. They'd teach them English. They would teach them about the Bible. And there was this sense of trust that it was this great community figure. And then they would turn around and be a tool to steal their land, to steal their um, their resources and to be able to diversify those people, take away their women, take away their children in a way that can perhaps in, in Australia for the lost generation, a similar situation happened here. So Christianity has a really brutal history in our colonial past. It was really key in the first installations of colonialism, pre-treaty, pre-all of that. It was the first instance of real brutal oppression and brutal exploitation of people in their communities and the trust that they gave to these people who were coming to their land. Um, And yeah, part of that Christianity, of course, instills deep ideas of strict gender and strict um, gender roles that, you know, the man is the head of the house, the man is in control, the woman is subservient, the woman um, is below the man, he does things, she does things for the man, and that there's those things, and then it instills strict ideas of gender and sexual identity that conflicted with how Māori communities were before they learned about Christianity, before they were converted. So then they had this conflict of, well, I'm Māori, my my culture said this was okay, but now I'm converting to Christianity, and they say it's not okay, which side do I pick? So that became really a big tool of them turning away from Māori culture as well, because they chose Christianity, they were pushed into Christianity, and therefore had to leave behind a lot of their Māoridom because of that. And that's what led to not only the diversifying of Māori communities by them leaving things behind, but accepting Christianity and accepting the harsh and strict rules under that, which just further instilled ideals of gender, which leads on to sexual violence, as I've discussed in my article. Great. You're listening to the Starters Wednesday Nooner with Michaela Harvey, who is the OUSA Welfare and Equity Representative and also a General Exec Member of Thursdays in Black. You can read her, her latest article regarding sexual violence and colonisation. Uh, go through to the Thursdays in Black uh, Facebook page. You'll be able to find a link to the blog then. Just one final question for you today, Michaela. Uh, what motivated you to join Thursdays in Black? Yeah, um, I discussed it a little bit on our recent post about each exec. Um, I talked about how last year I was just in one of my lectures and I was sitting with one of my friends and I happened to be wearing black on a Thursday and she made a comment there, oh, it's so cool that you're like being a part of that initiative. I was like, what initiative? And then she actually explained it to me like, I know it's bad, don't do this in your lectures, but then we went on the Facebook page and I had a little stalk to have a look and I was like, oh, this is cool. Um, and that was around about the time that I was going to be running for OUSA and got a bit more involved in that and then understood, like, it was a bit of a deep dive for me to understand, like, OUSA, OUSA clubs, things on campus, stuff like that. Um, and that's how I, I led into it. And then, of course, I was elected as OUSA Welfare and Equity Rep and became very well acquainted with Kaylee, um, who took me to some meetings and told me about some stuff and we got involved in like local body election stuff and through the welfare committee and um then yeah I signed up at the at the to be on the exec and ran for the exec and got on at the end of the year and have been involved ever since and yeah it's a deeply personal thing for me not just because it is like a constitutional obligation in my OUSA role but I find it a deeply personal and fulfilling role for me to be able to make sense of like my past and my trauma and also the trauma of like my people and my friends and my family. And um, yeah, it's a good sense of like community and um, practical activism and practical um, work towards ending sexual violence. 
Glad you're listening to the Starters Wednesday Nooner with Thursdays and Black on Radio 1. Myself, Kaylee, myself, Andrew, and Kaylee, my co-host, have been here speaking to uh, Michaela Wade Harvey, the OUSA Welfare and Equity Representative and a General Exec Member of Thursdays and Black. Once again, if you'd like to read her article, you can check out the Thursdays and Black Facebook page. We have the blog link there. You can find out uh, all the backgrounds of what we've been talking about today. Michaela, just want to thank you very, very much for coming on the show and speaking to us today. Right, we've got more music coming up on Radio 1. You're listening to the Starters Wednesday Nuna with Thursdays of Black on Radio 1. Enjoy the rest of the day. That was a Radio 1 91FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.